I'm your host today, John Maley. Uh, two special guests, Chris Kaplis, who is actually the senior research scientist with MIT, uh, the university, and also chief scientist at DAT. Also have Joe Lombardo, needs no introduction. Uh, 20 years with Nestle, 10 years before that with Nabisco. Uh, there's not a lot Joe hasn't seen, and also the founder of Eagy Avenue and Associates uh, Consulting Group. What is the perspective with the RFPs in today's market? But I don't know anyone who runs an auction or runs a bid takes the lowest cost. I've only seen that once in the, the 15 years I ran bids, and it was with a consultancy. So we agree 100%, okay? If I have a network, I'm going to identify, right. number one, my value-added customers. The value-added customers are the people that we cannot be laid on. There was so much experimentation during the pandemic. Uh, some of that is sticking around and people are trying to figure out. No one wants to get locked into a real long contract right now because it's so uncertain. Well, pre-pandemic... Pre-pandemic, a lot of food service contracts were three years still. Right? With adjustments, though. There were some kind of adjustment mechanisms, right? Right. right. Yeah. So you had 90-day, six-month, you know, 180-day review periods, yeah. right? And and for most bids, most shippers will do that. They'll say to the incumbents, you know, the days of doing 12 rounds on auctions, that was like the 1996 to 2002, let's do 32 rounds. That Those days are gone. Right. Usually it's a two-round with a soft and you let your incumbents say, you know what, if you meet this, you keep those lanes. You tell me the ones you want. Um, generally, they try to do that because no one likes churn. Uh, it's so easy in a procurement guide, to, to uh, in a spreadsheet to say, oh, it goes to carrier A instead of carrier B. But when it gets down to it, that's a change in contract. That's a change in relationship. That's a new DC. It's There's more to it to churn. Everyone hates churn. You hate it. And so right. you try to minimize that. But again, you're a cost center. So how much do you pay for churn? Well, and you're looked at as, I, I believe, a cost center in every scenario. Yep. But when you look at freight rates, yeah, and, and you're in a different bucket than chargebacks from from that go through customer service, where late fees and penalties and things like that. That holistic approach of of looking at the cost center. Well, this is the freight rate on the spreadsheet. But we haven't taken into account the impact that that has from a deductions perspective. I, smart shippers do. I, I think so. Joe, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think smart shippers yeah. are looking at that total cost, not just the rate. Smarter shippers look at total delivered costs. Yeah. Right. You yeah, look at yeah. total delivered costs. You know, how much detention? How much is charge? How much is inefficiency on the, the shipper side, you know, by stacking up trailers, not not turning trailers properly. So yeah, a sophisticated shipper will look at all those segments. But in an RFP, I don't think you can build all those segments into an RFP. I mean, you, you're looking at rates to a point, you know, okay, two hour load, two hour unload, and then you got exceptions. So I don't know if you could put all those exceptions into and get and get competent pricing. Yeah, and if and that's a really good point, Joe. And if you put the exceptions, and that's last year's, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. We find the the number of lanes that get rebid year to year, it's not as much as you think. No, I I think that not as much as the listeners might think. You you probably know. Well, the historic data for a bid is just that you're basing yep. it off of what it yep. was previously so there's going to be some gray area there that everyone has to navigate but 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 to, that's a really good point john but as as the volume on a lane gets higher 
the probability it will repeat increases dramatically. The things that don't repeat are the onesie twosie lanes. And we showed this, I mean, as the, as the volume decreases, the probability that that same lane shows up again in, a, in the next year is decreases. We've seen a, a lot of stuff go back, maybe that was shipper awarded, go CPU in large volume, where uh -huh. now we're in a position where the market has shifted and the the shippers have finally readjusted their budgets for CPU allowances. And now you've got, you know, large grocery chains, et cetera, coming back saying, we'll take over transportation on it. Number one, the market's in their favor to do so. So they're, you know, if they don't have a contract that's termed with a shipper, you know, they can just take it back at will. So you have that scenario. And then we're seeing it with in volume lanes where, I think the shippers that go out and try and award lanes that are less than 50 loads a year. Is that is that your threshold? I'm curious because shippers 50. and carriers have very different perspectives. 50. If it, does, if it doesn't move once a week, there's no consistency to it. Yeah, most most shippers, their line is 26. There you go. And I agree. I agree. 50 makes more sense. I talked to, I remember talking to, to guys at Schneider and they, they want 100 <laughs> if it's not two a week. Yeah, I mean... It, it ideally, if you say if you're talking about overall, which is what we're doing, we're trying to put the one hammer over all the lanes. Okay, if it's one on ones from New York to L.A., okay, yeah, it'd be great to have volume in the lane if there's volume in the lane, etc. But when you see uh, seasonality with lanes, oh sure, it, if it's yep. fifty, but they're in three months of the year, absolutely. So we we did some work up here at MIT yeah. with a, a doctoral student of mine, Angie Acacello. And you look at that. We call that cadence, right? The, the number mm -hmm. of weeks per year you actually have volume, then the average volume per week. Um, yeah, they, they both matter a lot. You're right. So Consistency. Consistency matters. Sure. Consistency, what we call frequency. We want, yeah. we want I think... I think the shipper wants the same thing, the carrier wants the same Absolutely. thing, which at the end of the day is consistency. Yeah. And the uh, ones who don't, uh, brokers, 3PLs and non-asset providers are better at non-consistent lanes because their their supply base is so diverse. And so that's what I've, the big change I've seen since I got in this business right. in 95, 96 running bids was that broker is no longer a four-letter word and they find their niche. And so what we're finding is the majority of a shipper's lanes have a much smaller percentage of the volume and they are best handled by a 3PL or an asset-based carrier's 3PL arm, um, brokerage arm, because they have it, they, they can handle that uncertainty because they can combine that what's random to you as one shipper combined across their, their base can be uh, made to be a sustainable lane. Well, I, I think you bring up a couple of different points there in that answer. Um, we saw a tremendous amount of fallout because, you know, we're 3PL, right? We saw a tremendous amount of fallout with the asset-based brokerages during COVID and, and other. And, and that posed a question from a lot of them contacting You, you saw me. fallout? What do, you, what do you mean? You saw a decrease failure. in the number of brokerages? We, we saw failure for failure to pick up, failure to cover their shipments oh. during COVID because okay. they had, a lot of them had pricing and agreements based on asset-based pricing not broker pricing. So yeah, when the market's soft, you might get by brokering your asset freight rates. But when the market increases, the trucks that they were awarding to or tendering shipments to were all of a sudden taking high dollar freight. 
So that's a scenario where sure. uh, if you're a shipper, you don't want to maybe put your liability out there with the asset-based brokerage arm because that's a simple scenario where you think, hey, we're doing business with an asset. There's some type of shelter or security there when actually that's probably the biggest hole or gap in your, in your network or from a commitment perspective because there's only so many trucks for an asset-based carrier. For a shipper to hear from an asset-based carrier, I'm out of equipment. I don't have any drivers available till next week. That is an acceptable response for an asset-based carrier to tell a shipper that. But if a broker says that, that is not acceptable. You're a yeah, but broker. But I think that's why most asset-based carriers have a brokerage arm to do just that. And so I, I don't quite agree with you on that. Um, but you, one of the pricing models that brokers and asset-based carriers do is that it's, it's fixed contract to the shipper and they buy on the spot, right? right? Right. And that's that's a challenge. That's not that's not only asset-based carriers do that. Brokers do that too. That is a business model that a lot of brokers follow. Uh, and it doesn't happen to be ours, but that's okay. Yeah, sure, sure. It's um, a different. It's a mix. Yeah, you got to have that. You got to have different people for different needs. So, uh, spot business, I think, is leans itself more towards brokerage. Short lead time Absolutely. business is more towards yep. brokerage. Low yep. volume is more towards brokerage. I agree. And, and I think you you have to balance um, the technology piece, which I think the brokers, a good broker is probably ahead of the assets on it in a lot of ways. Uh, that's coming around, but I think you for, people forget our industry is 92 to 94% made up of carriers with one to five trucks. Yes, but 60% of the total capacity comes from 4% of the carriers. Correct, the big guns. Yeah. So, they, I mean, yes, it's a bifurcated market. You've got a real long tail, but let's not forget two thirds of the capacity comes from small this. But because you have that long tail, you're exactly right. The market will continue to cycle up and down because they come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. And that's what makes it a market. And that no one creates the price. The market creates the price. Very good. Well, um, I, I think that we're, we're both presenting different perspectives but i think yeah. we are in alignment we kind of agree kind of agree well i don't i don't have a dog in the fight well and that's just it that <laughs> you're on base me neither well, yeah. uh, you know you, you guys have earned your roles and i think they're valid and and I, that's why i have you on i i, I don't chris I, I want you to be somebody that comes on and tells me i'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. Oh, I don't want, worry. I have no problem telling you you're wrong. No, and and no, I want you I'm to not know, a wallflower. <laughs> I, I know that. And that's okay. For, first off, I respect you and I appreciate your, your perspective. But at the end of the day, um, I'm the only one that's still in it. And I have the perspective that I have from, from how we operate, sure. which is not, it's really exception in the brokerage industry. We don't, we don't, have commitment issues. 80% of our freight still hauled by the top 20% of our carrier base and relationships matter and the way we do business and treat people matters. I can, I can say honestly that the biggest hurdle that I've had to overcome in the industry is the behavior of my competition. That's the biggest hurdle. And, and I think the brokerage industry. So Chris, Joe, uh, guys, I hate to cut you off, but I think we're going to pick this subject up next week. Uh, for everyone else there, uh, thanks for watching Stay in Your Lane, brought to you by Triple T Transport. 
Until next week. Continue watching on the next episode of the Stay in Your Lane podcast.